This is a Net News Network headline news brought to you by the Behind the Line podcast, bringing you all the crazy, chaotic news from around the United States and the world. Tune in to what you won't hear the MSN talking about. Well, in case you were concerned that the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine caused uh, serious health side effects after getting the vaccine, Moderna and Pfizer have both agreed to investigate themselves whether their shots cause long-term issues. They say they will track people who suffered adverse effects from the shots. They will attempt to determine the long-term negative effects they had. Heart inflammation, as most people know, has been the most reported severe side effect of the vaccine. Huh. That seems totally on the up and up, doesn't it? They'll investigate themselves. I'm sure they'll be completely forthright. These are the same companies that wanted 72 years to release the documents about the vaccines, right? These are the companies that are soon going to start charging just over $100 for the vaccination starting next year. Um, Do you think it would behoove them to find anything negative about their vaccine if they want people to pay for it? This would be like a police department involved in a shooting investigating itself. This would be like a criminal being allowed to conduct his own investigation on himself to determine if charges should be filed or not. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. This wouldn't be acceptable in any other type of setting, and it shouldn't be here either. This article from the Daily Mail says the studies will involve monitoring the small number of Americans who suffered rare side effects after receiving the shots over the past two years. Well, you can see it's already off to a good start. Both firms are required to carry out this long-term research by the FDA as a condition of approval earlier this year. I would say the FDA should investigate, but they're not going to say anything either since they helped usher this all along much faster than it should have been. Inflammation of the heart has been the most common serious adverse effect reported from the shots, though it is still very rare. Hmm. Is it, really? A study by British Columbia Center for Disease Control in Canada found that 58 of every million recipients of Moderna's two-shot vaccine developed the condition. The same study found that 21 of every million recipients of the original two-dose Pfizer vaccine also suffered the heart issue. Cases were most common among men under the age of 30, affecting more than 250 per every 1 million men aged 18 to 29. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said it has recorded around 1,000 cases of heart inflammation among under-18s who received COVID shots. Yeah. Those numbers don't sound skewed at all, do they? I mean, if I personally know people in my small circle who had serious adverse effects, including one guy who had two heart attacks uh, two weeks after he got his first booster shot, no history of heart problems, no previous medical problems, uh, 
they had to do CPR on him and saved him, but now he has to be on medication the rest of his life, also something he's never had to do. And he was a vaccine supporter, but if you talk to him now, he knows that that booster caused that, that the vaccine plus the booster caused those heart issues in him. <clears throat> and this is just my circle of people. I know three or four people personally who have lingering effects from this vaccine. So there's no way that it just so happens the people in my small circle of friends are somehow the exception to the rule. But I think we all know this. It'll be years before we know the truth about how bad these vaccines really were and what they actually did to those people who got them. The simple fact that natural immunity was completely overlooked and all these other methods of treating COVID were overlooked, methods that other countries, European countries, used successfully, but these were overlooked because it was about money and control. And since vaccines seem to be all the rage these days, researchers have developed a fentanyl vaccine. Yeah, that's right. Don't worry about stopping the tide of drugs flowing across the southern border. We'll just make a shot that'll counteract it. This so-called fentanyl vaccine could eliminate the drug's high by blocking its ability to enter the brain, which could be a major step forward in the ongoing opioid crisis. The study, conducted by a research team led by the University of Houston and funded by the Department of Defense through the Alcohol and Substance Abuse Disorder Research Program, was published in the journal Pharmaceutics at the end of October. Fentanyl, a synthetic opioid up to 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine, is prescribed by doctors to treat severe pain after surgery or for advanced stage cancer patients. However, illicitly manufactured fentanyl can also be abused for a short-term high or temporary feelings of euphoria or instant death and is deadly when added to street drugs such as cocaine, methamphetamine, or other op opioids. Uh, over 150 people die every day from overdoses related to synthetic opioids like fentanyl. A research associate professor of psychology and lead author of the study said in a news release that the vaccine is able to generate anti-fentanyl antibodies that bind to the consumed fentanyl and prevent it from entering the brain, allowing it to be eliminated out of the body via the kidneys. Thus, the individual will not feel the euphoric effects and can get back on the wagon to sobriety. The vaccine did not cause any adverse side effects in rats involved in lab studies, and clinical trials in humans are planned soon, with manufacturing of clinical-grade vaccine to begin in the coming months. Yes, another vaccine. Vaccines that could combat drug addiction and particularly opioid overdose have been in the works for some time. Human trials of an experimental opioid vaccine led by scientists at Columbia University and the University of Minnesota Medical School began late last year after the vaccine was shown to be safe and effective in mice. Yep, just keep 
letting that shit come across the border and we'll just give you a shot to deal with it. Insane. Who's going to pay for this? Why, you working taxpayers, of course, you're going to pay for this. Well, just in case you thought that heart problems, the sudden increase around the world was caused by vaccines, wrong. Scientists claim that tiny particles in the air are triggering the spike in sudden heart attacks. Excess deaths have skyrocketed around the world in the past two years with many young and healthy people, including professional athletes, suffering cardiac arrest. This can all be explained by tiny particles in the air causing heart attacks, according to the latest scientific research published in the Lancet Public Health on November 1st. Under the title, Air Quality and the Risk of Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest in Singapore, a time series analyst, analyst, analysis, sorry, Gateway Pundit report, researchers obtained the concentrations of six pollutants from June 1st to December 31st, June 1st, 2010 to December 31st, 2018 from the National Environment Agency, NEA, Singapore. Singapore is pretty polluted area. Particles at least 25 times smaller in diameter than human hair particle matter were the focus of the study. They are easily inhaled due to their tiny size and have been associated with a wide range of health issues, including autoimmune disorders. In this time series analysis, we found that increasing concentrations were associated with an immediate increased risk of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest over the first two days after exposure and a subsequent cumulative disease in risk three to five days after exposure. The association between concentration and risk of OHCA was affected by the type of arrest rhythm and the location of the arrest event, the study stated. We have produced clear evidence of a short-term association with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, which is a catastrophic event that often results in sudden death, said epidemiologist Joel Ake from the Duke NUS Medical School at the National University of Singapore. There were 18,131 cases of -of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest in Singapore during the study period. 35 people had more than one OHCA event and were included in the analysis for each event. Okay, If if you buy into this, the only thing I would say about this study is that it shows evidence of the spraying of the particles and particulates in the sky to in an effort to block or reflect solar radiation. You know, that stuff they claim they weren't doing for decades, but now actually admit, oh yeah, we're doing that. You know, all those quote-unquote condensation trails you see across the sky that start and stop abruptly and... I mean, seriously... There's so many things going on from every direction that it's hard to keep up with it all sometimes, isn't it? Well, here's something I think we know is already going on because Americans are so soft and weak-minded that they can't think for themselves. A psychologist is accusing Google of manipulating American citizens to influence the outcome of the November midterm elections, according to Maryville University social media's influence on elections was evident in the early 2000s. 
Robert Epstein and his research team from the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology have been monitoring online political content being sent to voters in swing states. As part of the research, the team is looking into search engine results on Google and Bing, messages displayed on Google's homepage, tweets sent by Twitter, email suppression on Gmail, autoplay videos suggested on Google-owned YouTube, and so on. The study found over 1.9 ephemeral experiences. I think I said that right that Google and other firms were using to shift opinions and voting preferences. Epstein wrote in a November 6th article for the Daily Caller, ephemeral experiences are short-lived content that immediately disappears without leaving a trace after user consumption. The team expects such experiences to number over 2.5 million by election day. Epstein has identified roughly a dozen new forms of online manipulation using ephemeral experiences, which are almost exclusively controlled by Google and a few other tech firms. The impact created by the experiences is stunning, Epstein says. Search engine results that favor one political candidate were found to influence undecided voters so much that up to 80% of such people in some demographic groups shifted their voting preferences after only a single search Carefully crafted search suggestions that flash at you while you're, you are typing a search term can turn a 50-50 split among undecided voters into a 90-10 split with no one knowing they have been manipulated. A single question and answer interaction on a digital personal assistant can shift the voting preferences of undecided voters by more than 40%. Ahead of the 2022 election, a high level of liberal bias is being seen in Google search results in swing states like Arizona, Florida, and Wisconsin, Epstein wrote. Search results from Bing did not indicate such bias. For the November midterm elections in multiple swing states, liberal news sources make up 92% of autoplay videos being sent to YouTube users, which can potentially shift hundreds of thousands of votes on election day, Epstein warned. Back in 2020, Epstein and his team collected 1.5 million ephemeral experiences from 1,735 field agents, which were sufficient in theory to shift over 6 million votes to Joe Biden's favor. Epstein had supported Biden at the time, he said. He found that Google sent more voting reminders to moderates and liberals than conservatives, which Epstein calls a brazen and powerful manipulation. Google also turned off all manipulations in the 2020 Georgia Senate races after three Republican senators sent a letter to Google CEO Sundar Pichai, which discussed Epstein's findings on manipulation. Political bias in Google search results dropped to zero after the letter, he pointed out. In an April interview with Epochs TV, American Thought Leaders, Epstein also talked about online platforms using surveys to help users decide whom to vote for. In such surveys, users are given a quiz and the platforms tell them how good a match they are for specific candidates. In an experiment, Epstein's team found that they were able to shift a significant number of people's voting preferences to the candidate that was presented as being their best match. Opinion matching is a fantastic way to manipulate people because you can shift people very, very, very dramatically and they have no clue. They do not suspect any kind of bias or manipulation. Opinion matching and testing refers to presenting short texts to examinees to test their ability to read and understand them as fast as possible. 
When media uses opinion matching, it exposes the users to pictures, videos, and short text for a short time. About 96% of donations from Silicon Valley firms, including Google, go toward the Democratic Party, he added. Google had no comment on this research. I mean, if you can't do your own investigation on political people and the parties and what they stand for, you're going to allow some unknown person emailing you or some post on social media to influence your decision. It's one thing to listen to that and then go look that stuff up for yourself and decide, figure it out, investigate the person. But people are just too damn lazy, you know, and this just proves it. And these social media companies are totally swayed for the Democratic Party. So it's no wonder so many votes get pushed to their party. It should be completely illegal for them to do this. But you're not going to see the Democrats make any changes with that as long as it's benefiting them, which it is, obviously. So I just want to touch on this whole FTX debacle real quick. I don't usually talk too much about crypto because I've always believed that crypto is worthless, that it's made up of nothing. It has nothing tangible. There's no actual asset. It's only worth anything because people believe that it's worth anything. And I suppose you could argue that about the U.S. dollar, too, because it's not backed by anything either, but... At least you have a physical dollar if you have cash in your hand. Bitcoin and all this other crap, you have nothing in your hand. It's just, in, it's just out there. It's just on a computer somewhere, and it could disappear at any moment, like people who have invested in FTX just found out. Tom Brady being one of those people, and it's speculated he lost nearly $650 million in that deal. Basically his entire fortune. Well, in case you didn't know, FTX was a Bahama-based cryptocurrency exchange. The exchange was founded in 2019 and at its peak in 2021, had over 1 million users and was the third largest crypto exchange by volume. FTX is incorporated in Antigua and Barbuda and headquartered in the Bahamas. FTX is closely associated with FTX.us, a separate exchange available to U.S. residents. Now, according to this article, the trouble started around November 11th, well, around November 9th. FTX has been in a bankruptcy proceeding in the U.S. court system following a liquidity crisis. While details of the crisis are still being revealed, the public concerns began when a 9th of November 2022 Coindesk article stated that FTX's partner from Alameda Research had a significant portion of its assets in FTX's native token FTT. Following this revelation, rival exchange Binance's CEO Chang Peng Zhao announced that Binance would sell its holdings of the token, which was quickly followed by a bank run, collapsing the value of the token. This left FTX in a liquidity crisis in which depositors could not withdraw their funds and Binance signed a letter of intent to acquire the firm with due diligence to follow, but Binance withdrew its offer the next day. FTX filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection on November 11, 2022. 
the whole tha thing sounds extremely shady right from the get-go. Sam Bankman-Fried and Zizou Gary Wang founded FTX in May of 2019. FTX began with within Alameda Research, trading firm founded by Bankman-Fried and others in 2017 in Berkeley, California. FTX is an abbreviation of Futures Exchange. Zhao of Binance purchased 20% stake in FTX for approximately $100 million six months after Bankman Fried and Wang started the firm. Why? In August 2020, FTX acquired Blockfolio, a cryptocurrency portfolio tracking app for $150 million. In July of 2021, FTX raised $900 million at an $18 billion valuation from over 60 investors, including SoftBank, Sequoia Capital, and other firms. Bankman Fried bought out Zhao's stake for approximately $2 billion. In September of 2021, FTX moved its headquarters from Hong Kong to the Bahamas. January 14, 2022, FTX announced a $2 billion venture fund named FTX Ventures. In November 2022, FTX Ventures' website went offline. In January of 2022, FTX also raised another $400 million in Series C funding at a $32 billion valuation. Who's doing these valuations? Where did this guy get all this money to start this company, and how did it grow so fast in such a short period of time? It's all fishy. In August of 2022, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, published a cease and desist letter accusing FTX of making false and misleading representations about FDIC insurance following FTX President Brett Harrison's tweet implying otherwise. Following the letter, Harrison deleted the tweet and Bankman Fried clarified in a tweet that FTX does not have FDIC insurance. In October of 2022, it was reported that FTX was under investigation in Texas for allegedly selling unregistered securities. This guy was the second largest donor to the Democratic Party for the midterms behind George Soros. Bankman Fried gave $39.7 million to Democratic causes during the 2022 federal election cycle, including six-figure checks to the Democratic National Committee and the Senate Democrats' main super PAC, as well as $6 million to the super PAC leading Democrats' efforts to hold the House. The only Democratic donor to give more last cycle was, like I said, George Soros, who gave $129 million dollars. But of course, all that money he gave to those guys is stolen because you've got all these reports that millions, possibly even a billion dollars, has disappeared from this guy's exchange because somehow they got hacked or something. He doesn't know what happened. But the simple fact that he was apprehended in the Bahamas getting ready to leave for, I believe, Qatar, which is a non-extradition country to the U.S. tells you all you need to know.
And I would venture to say that the Democrats were complicit with this guy. How do you rise to this level and become this superstar so fast and be this big Democrat donor because you've got help from the right government officials because you've greased the right wheels and lined the right pockets, that's how. Of course, none of that will ever come out. No politician will ever be connected to it, but you know it as well as I do that they're complicit in this, and the only good thing about all this coming out is that this loser won't be around for the next election cycle to drop a bunch of money on Democrats. I mean, you just take one look at this guy. This guy is not a billionaire. He looks like a tweaker that sleeps in his mom's basement. Of course, this whole thing with FTX seems to be affecting these other cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is way down. Ethereum is way down. In fact, Ethereum dropped below a key support level last week due to this. Bitcoin had a high of 60,000 just not too long ago, and it's dumped all the way down to less than 17,000. My question is, these things are supposed to be blockchain. Maybe FTX wasn't, but blockchain supposedly unhackable, yet FTX claiming they were hacked and $600 million was withdrawn from the collapsing platform. Uh Okay. Of course, old Backman Fried admitted that he left a backdoor in the app for the uh, exchange for whatever reason. Right? Coinbase also taking the hits from the FTX debacle. Shares dropped 6% today. About a year ago, Coinbase had a valuation of $85 billion, but shares of the crypto firm have crashed more than 80% this year. The government wants these digital assets, assets, I use that term loosely, to crash. The government is getting ready to roll out its own digital coin next year. And they're going to have to because of the state of the economy. Whether that involves wiping out debt and starting over or whatever, but they're going to have to do something... They've got to have their digital currency, and it can be the only digital currency. They're not going to want these other digital currencies. Although, why anybody would want to use digital currency after watching all this happen is beyond me. But it's coming. The Fed will roll out their digital currency next year, and they will expect us to use it. And I seriously doubt they're going to want any of these other digital assets around to be any kind of competition to them. Yeah, the government needs this so they can say that there was lack of government oversight and that's why this happened and this guy took advantage of the situation and these other digital cryptos are taking advantage of the lack of government oversight and we need government oversight and only... Cryptos with government oversight will be allowed to protect you, to protect the people, for the good of the people. 
There's nothing tangible in the crypto market. There's no physical assets to back up what it is. So it's just faith in unicorns. You might as well go to Las Vegas and put it all on black because that is essentially what you're doing with crypto. This could happen at any time to any one of these. I don't know. If you've got money in crypto tied up, I'd get it out now while you can. Put it in something tangible. Don't put it in anything right now. Nothing is good. The markets are all just taking a dump, and it's not going to get any better anytime soon. If I were you, I'd be investing in food and your ability to be self-sufficient because a time is coming very soon where you're going to need to be self-sufficient where the government's teat is not going to be there for you at least for a while if you can't see it coming i don't know what to tell you Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas continues to claim that the southern border is secure despite over 2.3 million border encounters for the 2022 fiscal year. On Wednesday, former Georgia Republican Congressman Doug Collins said Mayorkas owes the nation an apology. This is a dereliction of duty, Collins said. Collins addressed the mental and physical toll that the ongoing crisis has taken on the Border Patrol. The mental strain of seeing these kids dying, the truckloads, when you're seeing this, this is just heartbreaking, he said, calling Mayorkas a failure at his job. He's gaslighting the American people, said Fox Business' Cheryl Cazone, adding that the crisis keeps getting worse under the Biden administration. <clears throat> In Biden's America, you pay exorbitant taxes anyway to be less safe, less secure for a system that fails you with a dollar that is worth far less. A federal judge issued an order on Tuesday barring federal authorities from using Title 42, a Trump-era rule that allowed U.S. to quickly expel migrants who crossed the border. Title 42 was originally enacted at the outset of the coronavirus pandemic in March 2020, allowing for authorities to quickly expel migrants on public health grounds. The ruling comes as the Biden administration tries to tamp down on border crossings, announcing a new initiative last month to use Title 42 to expel Venezuelan nationals back to Mexico. Guess that won't happen. To add to this, U.S. Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Chris Magnus resigned from his position, the White House says. President Biden accepted Magnus's resignation letter according to a Saturday night press release from the White House. Magnus was told to resign or be fired by Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, according to a government source. Afterward, Magnus emailed senior customs and border protection staff stating that he's determined to remain on the job. I want to make this clear. I have no plans to resign as CPB commissioner. I didn't take this job as a resume builder. I came to Washington, D.C., moved my family here because I care about this agency, its mission, and the goals of this administration. His resignation comes after a record-breaking year for the number of migrants attempting to enter the U.S. on the southern border. Figures from the Department of Homeland Security show nearly 2.4 million migrants were detained at the border in the fiscal year that ended in September, which is an increase of 37% from last year. He was doing a hell of a job. Politico reported in October that the Customs and Border Protection Commissioner fell asleep during meetings. 
What an idiot. Him and Mayorkas both need to go. Do they understand what the job of the border customs and border protection is? Does Mayorkas understand what the job of border patrol is? It doesn't seem that they do because there's no patrolling of the borders going on. These people are just the typical inept government employees falling asleep at your job? Really? What is the goal here besides to allow the country to be overrun and turn us into a third world country? I don't see how there could be any other goal here. You allow these people to come into the country, you give them more benefits than our own veterans can get when they come back from serving. Something is seriously wrong. You have tens of millions of homeless Americans on the streets. Shut down the borders and use that money to do something about the mental health and drug problems. Oh yeah, they're making a vaccine for your drug problems. Maybe they can come up with a vaccine for homelessness too. Maybe they can come up with a vaccine for dirty politicians. Maybe we need a vaccine for alcohol. An estimated one in five deaths of people ages 20 to 49 are attributable to excessive alcohol use in the United States, according to a study published in JAMA Network Open. For people ages 20 to 64, drinking-related deaths accounted for one in eight, the study said. Well, gee, that sounds like a big problem. That's a lot of people dying from alcohol, or alcohol-related, like drunk drivers. But they sure aren't doing anything about that, are they? Why, I'm going to guess that that's even more deaths than guns create. And I don't see the government up in arms about drinking, or trying to stop people from drinking too much, or drinking and driving. That little COVID lockdown that we had for two years, drinking increased 30% among Americans during that time. Researchers took national and state mortality data from 2015 to 19 and looked at deaths either fully or partially attributable to excessive drinking. Those causes of death included vehicle accidents, alcohol poisoning, and other health impacts such as liver disease. The data showed that the deaths fully attributable to alcohol have risen in the past decade. But hey, alcohol, that keeps you subdued, and the government would just like to see you kept subdued and compliant. I've been to lots of alcohol-related deaths, mostly vehicle accidents, as a firefighter and a police officer. Unfortunately, usually the drunk person survives and it's some innocent person that gets killed. But yet the government, they just allow this to continue unabated. And trust me, I'm not saying that alcohol should be taken away. I have a drink now and again myself, but I'm calling out the hypocrisy of these crises that they go after, like guns and 
COVID and flu and everything else they want you to or force you to get vaccinated or do this or do that, or there's some regulation, some restriction, take it away from you. But then these other things that historically have been a problem for a long time, they do nothing about because it doesn't fit into their overall agenda of control. And quite frankly, letting you drink is a good way to have control, just like letting you use drugs. Keep you fat and happy, compliant. November 10th, Israeli F-35I fighter jets escorted two American B-52 bombers through Israeli airspace. In an apparent show of force to Iran amid tensions in the region, the bombers assigned to the U.S. Central Command were heading back from the Persian Gulf. The flight took place as part of an increasing cooperation with the U.S. military, which is a significant component of the national security of the state of Israel. Maintaining regional stability and thwarting regional threats, the Israeli Defense Forces said in a statement. In a video published by the IDF, an Israeli pilot can be heard saying over the radio to the American pilots, this is the Israeli Air Force. Welcome to Israel. We hope you have a safe flight. Washington has frequently dispatched B-52 bombers to the region as hostilities simmered between the U.S. and Iran. The last such flyover was in September. Israeli jets escorting the American bombers have become a regular fixture in the skies in the Middle East as tensions between Tehran and the West have risen amid an attempt to negotiate a refreshed nuclear agreement. In the past, F-16 or F-15 jets would escort the bombers. Thursday's flight marked the first time Israeli F-35 stealth fighter jets were escorting U.S. aircraft, according to the IDF. The U.S. Central Command was expanded last year to include Israel, a move seen to encourage regional cooperation against Iran under former U.S. President Donald Trump. European Union-sponsored talks have been ongoing for over a year to bring the U.S. back into the 2015 nuclear deal with Iran, known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. The deal, signed between Iran and the U.S., U.K., France, Germany, China, and Russia, has unraveled since the Trump administration pulled out in 2018. The U.S. reimposed stiff sanctions, and Iran responded by dropping many of its own commitments to the pact while also ramping up its uranium enrichment to levels far beyond the agreement's limits. Like that wasn't going on already, right? Iran now enriches uranium up to 60% purity, a level it never reached before and a short technical step away from 90% enrichment. While Iran long has maintained its program as peaceful, non-proliferation experts warn Tehran has enough 60% enriched uranium to reprocess it into fuel for at least one nuclear bomb. Iran is anything but peaceful, and you can see that with everything going on there right now with the protests and all the people being sentenced to death. Israel has long pushed the U.S. to prepare a military option, and U.S. President Joe Biden said in July that he would be prepared to use force if necessary to prevent Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon. Saudi Arabia has also sounded the alarm on Iran in the last couple weeks. As I reported, they came to the U.S. intelligence and told them they had information that Iran was preparing to attack Saudi Arabia and that the threat was imminent. You can pretty much guarantee that if Iran gets a nuclear bomb, they're going to use it.
somewhere on someone as soon as possible. North Korea has launched yet another short-range ballistic missile toward its eastern waters Thursday, hours after the North threatened to launch fiercer military responses to the U.S. bolstering its security commitment to its allies, South Korea and Japan. The missile fired from the North's eastern coastal Wonsan area at 10.48 a.m. landed in the waters between the Korean Peninsula and Japan, according to its neighbors. After detecting the launch, South Korean, U.S., and Japanese militaries quickly condemned the launch that they say threatened stability in the region. It was North Korea's first ballistic missile firing in eight days and the latest in its barrage of tests in recent months. North Korea previously said some of the tests were simulations of nuclear attacks on South Korea and U.S. targets. Many experts say North Korea would eventually want to enhance its nuclear capability to wrest bigger concessions from its rivals. Russia again unleashed missiles on Thursday against Ukrainian energy facilities while its forces stepped up attacks in eastern Ukraine, reinforced by troops pulled from Kherson City in the south, which Kyiv recaptured last week. NATO and Poland concluded that a missile that crashed in Poland on Tuesday, killing two people, was probably a stray fired by the Ukraine's air defenses and not Russian. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky contested this view in a rare public disagreement with his Western allies. Hopefully the Russians and Ukrainians can keep their missile launching to themselves. And probably the best news of the day, U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi said on Thursday she will step down as the Democratic leader in the chamber a day after Republicans secured a narrow majority following the midterm elections. Pelosi, an 82-year-old liberal from California who has served two stints as Speaker, said she will remain in Congress representing San Francisco in the House as she has done for 30 five years. Too damn long. No one in either party should be in politics for that long or as an 82-year-old person. Sorry, you're out of touch. You're stale. You've been there too long. We need term limits for these people, all of them. Thank you for listening to Net News Network Headline News, brought to you by the Behind the Line podcast. For more, you can listen to us at the Behind the Line podcast.com or right here on Net News Network. We can also be found on Facebook, YouTube, Truth Social, Parlor, Gab, Twitter, Telegram, Reddit, Spotify iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and anywhere else your favorite podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe and share.